we're going to be positive every day. Positive every day? Not so fast, Woody Pajama wearing honks and bobos. Scartelli is here and he has worries, concerns, and urine-soaked shoes after a disappointing 25 to nothing Patriot win in Atlanta that ultimately has New England followed upwards in the first place in the tomato can-laden AFC East. We don't have wet blankets on this pod, but to use some Gasparese, we do have a dung streak duvet of discernment. Here's Patrick, and it's time for Four Down with Scartelli. Thank you, Rockhead. Down one, the defense didn't give up any points. That, my friends, is boring football, and possibly fascist, like strikeouts. Sorry. Down two, McCorkle threw the ball to nine different pass catchers. That's not going to cut it. You pick one of these slappies to be a de facto WR1 and you stick with him. Down three, Nick Folk. Oh, fine. Now he hits the long field goal. Where was that against Tampa? And yet, he also misses an extra point. You cannot be inconsistent like that during the year of the kicker. And down four, the NFL. They say they care about player safety, but former player Troy Aikman was not subjected to the league concussion protocol despite clear signs of impairment. Those are the four downs, because reasons. Back after next game. You're enjoying your day, everything's going your way, then along comes Debbie Downer. Always there to tell you about a new disease, a car accident or killer bees. We beg her to spare you, Debbie, please, but you can't stop Debbie Downer. 25 to nothing in Atlanta, Mike on Route 1. Uh, the, the dung stained Juvea discernment aside, uh, what'd you like what happened uh, last week in Atlanta? Uh, you know, I, 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 I last week on the pod, I, I did caution against, you know, the uh, in the parlance of our times that they would, they would in fact, boat race this team. Uh, I think as the week went on, I, I had thoughts that perhaps uh, it, something would have to go tragically wrong in order for the Falcons to get get, get more than 13 points. And it seems I was certainly um, highballing that number as well. Um, you know, the idea, though, I think that this is some function of, of not having Patterson um, and missing a bunch of other key guys um, that happens every week in the league. I also think it shows, you know, Ben Volan's fundamental lack of understanding about uh, what it takes to win in 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 that league, um, and you know the the idea that there's these aren't just some guy off the street that's coming in there. These are professional players, and and you know they're not as good as as Cordell Cordell Patterson is, but um, you know they're they're there for a reason, and so I think. Putting it all on the the uh, JV squad is is ridiculous, and it always will be. But it, but again, that's what these these people do. They don't understand how difficult it, it is, and it goes back to another thing. I think is what what a, an average NFL player is, and how good an NFL average player is, and how valuable an NFL average player is. Especially, you know, the Patriots have have won because of their fascinating Bill's obsession with NFL average players. So uh, beyond that, I just thought the thing that I, the takeaway for me is. Um, is just what the defense continues to do in that front. The the front is just a wrecking crew. And um, the guy I, I am enjoying watching uh, is is Duggar. And we haven't mentioned him a lot. He plays so low to the ground and it reminds me different games than, than a Reed or a Palomalo, but plays low to the ground like the good safeties seem to do back there. So really enjoying, enjoyed him as well. 
I liked your point about the the Falcons missing Patterson and missing uh, Calvin Ridley. I think it the fundamental misunderstanding a lot of media has, not just Volan, but a lot of the sports media has, that football is a game of attrition. There's no asterisk for the Broncos winning the AFC title when the Patriots had Steven Jackson in the backfield. It's, it's, it's a, again, a fundamental misunderstanding of how the game is played. Dan, what do you like about the win in Atlanta? The defense, the defense, the defense. You know, if, if the Falcons are a JV team, 25 to nothing is what you're supposed to have against a JV team. You know, that's, that's an impressive win. That's, that's what you should do when against teams that, you know, allegedly quote unquote suck. They um, boat raced them. They absolutely boat raced them. The game was never not in the Patriots control. Right. I also thought uh, Pease had a creative defense against, against Jones. Uh, you know, those, uh, those safety blitzes were things that they, you know, they had some missed assignments, caused some confusion and that's good. Those are things to learn from that. That's going to be constructive going forward. As much as Mike and I have a shared dislike of Dean Pease and the turncoat that he was after being on Bill's staff, um, it's it's good for Mac to Max getting his reps and with each passing week, John, it's like a graduate level course that he's taking and he's learning about how to win and how to play quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, he's he's such a joy to watch. He's so there's like a comfort in watching him as a rookie quarterback, and and I think it's becoming trendy to say it's easy to forget he's a rookie quarterback. He's already getting uh, the, the, you know, teardown season of Mac Jones has already begun, right? The, the honeymoon of being a rookie uh, and the, the, whatever the expectations people had has given way to he's overrated. You know, he's not this, he's not that, you know, he's 11 games into his NFL career and how, who knows how good this guy is going to become as he gets more comfortable uh, it is it is really fun to watch him develop and and you know just enjoy the way he's running that offense. A couple other things I'll I'll touch on the you know the Falcons offense the, the way the Patriots manhandled that offense and how good this defense is is uh, is you know Dan was talking about you know the Falcons possessions first possession three plays and punt second possession six plays and punt they missed a field goal on their third possession. Then it was three plays and punt, four plays and punt, three plays and punt. And then the interceptions came on. Right. So it's, they just completely dominated that game. And a quick shout out too to the special teams. I mean, where was the average starting position for the Falcons in that game? You know, the, the first drive of the game, the Patriots punt from just over midfield and you're all pro Scarcy from last week, you know, you were, you were dogging them last week. Uh, one of your many downers, I guess, but uh, that all pro punter, Jake Bailey does his job, pins the Falcons at the four. And that just set the tone for the, for the entire game. The Falcons seemed like they were starting inside the 20, every single possession. So uh, the depth of this team, how far can they go? I mean, it is Mike, to your point, a game of attrition, who's going to be healthiest over the last five or six weeks of the season. And, you know, if the Patriots stay healthy with their depth, you know, it's there's a lot to be excited with these guys. Agreed. Um, Mac was it was very efficient in that game. Eight yards a pass. The goalposts move every week with Mac. And that's how you know that things are coming along nicely. Uh, 165 yards of total offense for the Falcons. I would wager uh, a lot of that came in the fourth quarter when it's they're just the game was in control. They didn't have to press the issue. Uh, so they're on to, to Tennessee next week. Certainly a step up in class from the JV Falcons. But if the Patriots manage to win 
uh, to beat the Titans on Sunday. I'm sure there'll be a lot of gnashing and teeth of wringing of hands. Well, Derrick Henry wasn't there and AJ Brown wasn't there. So again, football game of attrition players get hurt. No one's, no one's downgrading. Uh, no one's pissing because James white is off of the pages of James white. John would come in really useful for have a rookie quarterback. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of one of the, the pearls of wisdom that we've been subjected to where Bill Belichick did his shopping at Target. Uh, if he did his shopping at Target, he was able to amass a lot of stuff, as opposed to some of these bobos that go to Neiman Marcus and get one wide receiver, Kenny Galladay. The Patriots go out <laughs> to Target, right, to Target to get Matt Judon. I mean, getting Matt Judon at Target, what a buy that was. You know, it makes me feel like when... I don't know. Doesn't Target have some like designer brand kind of like the low end of designer brands? Must, that must have been what Matt Junin is. He's a, a designer brand that you were able to get at Target. So what you, when you, you know, spend your money wisely and you have back-to-back excellent drafts, as Bill Belichick has done, getting no credit for that, all of a sudden this is a tremendous, young, talented roster on both sides of the ball. And um, yeah, it's, it, it, I mean, they're not missing a lot, Mike. Judon is is the the heir apparent to a great tradition of Patriot outside linebackers like uh, obviously McGinnis. He's what Ro- Bill wanted Roosevelt Colvin to be, I'd wager. And I'm not going to sully that by mentioning Chandler Jones in the same breath with those guys, but Willie, uh, Colvin, and certainly Judon. Um, so they win, they're on the Tennessee. And now we're going to talk about something that I'm going to do my best to bite my tongue, Mike. I want to play this audio. Give me a second here to get it. I want to play this audio. This is a, the fact that Drew Bledsoe is a Colin Coward friend is it pays $2.10. Here's Drew on with Colin Cowherd last week. Foot, a walking footnote, Drew Bledsoe on with Colin Coward last week. Does it ever um, bother you that you are kind of tied to Brady? Does that b- ever bother you? Well, I, you know, Colin, you know me well enough, and we've talked enough. You know I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that kind of stuff, and I love Tom to this day. The only thing that does kind of bother me sometimes, though, and this is, you know, just being totally honest, I feel like my career has kind of been treated like a footnote, you know, like it's just a footnote to Tom's career. Um, but I have a piece of trivia for you. How about that? All right. All right. Uh, my buddy threw this at me the other day. So a list of quarterbacks. You got uh, Dan Marino, Fran Tarkenton, John Elway, Warren Moon, Brett Favre, and Vinny Testaverde. Yeah. All right. What are the, what are the, what are those what are those guys have in common? Maybe Joy will know. Um, yeah. Nothing. All all number one picks. Um. Uh, no, I don't think they. I don't think all of them were. But the, that's the uh, that's the total list of quarterbacks that had thrown for more yards than I had in the history of the NFL when I retired. The air yards trivia question. I just. I, Scartelli's making the jerky jerky motion. I'm I, I'm going to have to take a trazodone. Uh, Mike, Mike, the floor is yours regarding cerebral statue, Drew Bledsoe. Uh, if I go on here a bit, please, um, you know, hit the shock collar because uh, <laughs> I wound up for this one. Um, a, a guy who never put in the work before being injured, uh, certainly in the film room, and never put in the work in the weight room to his own uh, admission uh, prior to being injured. Um, a guy who said the happiest day of, of the season was when he was wheels up for whitefish. Um, those are facts. And I think the earlier statements by the particulars, by the coaching staff, uh, Dan, Dan has read Pepper's book. I didn't read Pepper's book, but in Patriot Rain, it's pretty clear. Um, 
that it was bad in the room. Brady said, yeah, it was tough. We were never really close. You know, that's an early Brady statement and unvarnished, I think, which I, I, yep. I take is more truth than, than maybe some of the later uh, softened up um, statements that he's made. Um, but the fact is that the fans and even Boston fans who are self-styled as loving the lunch pail blue collar guys, they really don't want that. They're, they're pedigree fetishists really is what it yes. is. Um, it's why Peyton Manning, very much a child of football privilege, can play the aw shucks, just folks, let's have a beer card. Brett Favre, you know, meanwhile, Tom Brady can chug anybody under the table. So it's just, you know, Brett Favre was the 33rd pick in the draft. Um, but we like the phony veneer of, of hashtag working class, ha- working class. Um, shout out Bootsy. Uh, it's why the, you know, the 199th pick in the draft can be met with such scorned by his own fans um, for daring not to wear dungarees in a white undershirt. Um, I, but I think it, it speaks to our also the, the whole this whole idea of, of Bledsoe as this father mentor figure to um, to Brady. It speaks to our need for narrative as, as human beings and how we kind of compartmentalize things. Uh, you know, a young pitcher can't just pitch a good game. It's got to be that Veritech call, the great game. Uh, and, and, and of course, people, we, the players themselves buy into that idea because we have to kind of make sense and make order of things. Um, so this was nothing shocking from Bledsoe, but I did, I did like, I, I, I don't think about that calling, you know me, <laughs> and he's just sitting there <laughs> stewing over it. So um the cerebral statue, but it is a, an annual ritual, annual right here um, that we go through. And uh, this is the time, I guess, that it came up this year. And it's, it's, it's exhausting. And it's just, it's the re- the whitewashing of history will, will never end. It's actually diabolically brilliant what he does. It's an ad for his winery and he gets free airtime to do this stuff. It's, he's getting paid back for all the, the unnamed sources that he gave and playing grab ass with the media. And let me throw before I throw it to you, Dan. I'm gonna throw some Drew Bledsoe fast facts. You some trivia question, Colin. Let me throw some trivia question at you. He was 98 and 95 in his career. His completion percentage for his career was 57.2%. 251 touchdowns, 206 picks. In the playoffs, he completed 51% of his passes, six touchdowns, 12 interceptions. I'll say that again: six touchdowns, 12 interceptions. His adjusted net yards and attempts, 2.91. He was sub three and adjusted net yards and attempt, Dan. He wasn't um, He wasn't a footnote. He was a disappointment. That's before you even get into the playoff stats. Right, right. Yeah. It's it's uh, The three of us share a locket, the three old board guys. Scartelli, I'll include Scartelli in that, the old board guys. We share a locket regarding Bledsoe. Um, you know, he... Resurgence in the last few years, and I think part of it, his his legends had a resurgence, and part of it's tied to that. Uh, was it the Eric Bledsoe thing with the Celtics and the the Bucks, and all of a sudden, oh, we should bring our Bledsoe yeah. out, and he became like an icon for for the Celtics or something like that. But another thing that came out, I thought it was just recent, was him talking about Brady back then. And that he told somebody that Brady, and this might have been one of the books that have come out in the last few years, that he was telling somebody that Brady, you could see him as being a long, long lasting backup quarterback in the league. Yep. So he never saw it coming. You know, here's Brady winning with the parts that uh, everybody thought weren't good enough for Bledsoe to win with. That's all you needed to see. 
Um, I also yep. think it's illuminating that the yardage leaders at the time of his retirement would be his defense of his career. It's, it's just kind of sad. Stephen Henry was also one of his favorite receivers in the mid nineties. I like to talk to him about that. John, you were a Bledsoe guy, you know, let's, let's put it on the table. You were a Bledsoe yeah. guy. Uh, you've taken laps on that and I've, I've slapped you around with it for the better part of two decades, but yeah. uh, you know, and you tend to try to see the good in everything. Um, <laughs> right. Cam knows he has to do better, but you're happy for Cam, but you're being condescending, but <laughs> well, your thoughts on Bledsoe, the, I, the I, annual the Bledsoe ad. I'm the team mom of the podcast, I think, on some yes. of these things. Um, you know, being on the West Coast earlier, missing the transition from Bledsoe to Brady, uh, you did see it. I didn't see it. Um, and, but what I think is is interesting, I look at I look at Belichick's role in this, and Belichick's front row seat to let's let's say the the opportunity lost of the mid 90s when those very good patriots teams weren't able to win a super bowl in no small part because of bledsoe's playoff performances which i did see right and the the fact that here we are you know 20 plus years later and belichick having having you know drafted or uh, excuse me you know, the tom brady experience and and coaching him all through that that time frame seeing what it takes to be, you know, the greatest quarterback and, and elite for so long. And then seeing a guy like Mac Jones sitting there and just knowing that the rest of the league is too stupid to draft him, mm -hmm. right. That he would be there at 15 because teams are enamored with what used to be he's tall and he's got a strong arm and now it's, he can make off platform throws. Right. So the, 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 the flavor of the month has shifted a bit, but what constitutes winning football, you know, Bill Belichick sees it more clearly than anybody else. And while everybody's, you know, jerking off over Trey Lance, right, and trading up for him, Belichick sits back and lets this, this Marvel rookie quarterback fall right into his lap because he does all the things that winning quarterbacks do that isn't as sexy as you know, he's tall and he's got a strong arm or he throws super sexy incompletions. You made the point in the, in the, our thread is that Belichick going with Brady seven months after giving Bledsoe the largest contract in league history, it might be the greatest management move in the history of management moves. It was ballsy yeah. for sure. Uh, Scartelli as a long time drew Bledsoe uh, denigrator. And, and yes, you have the locket, you have the club, uh, you know, are you sickened? Do you, you pissing your shoes, throwing stuff in your hair? That's the, the the entitlement in his voice. It, that voice, if you could, if you look up the clip and see his face, it's just ah, oh, Bledsoe. Just oh, I, ugh, I get it. Scratch your thoughts on Drew. It, it comes through with the you know. I look forward to competing for my job. That's what that comes yes. from, and and I think the most damning indictment against Drew was that he. Uh, abdicated and he clubhouse responsibility to the likes of folks like Bruce Armstrong, who for some reason, people who weren't there, weren't watching then seem to think is a good player just because they out of, you know, necessity retired his number. <sighs> because Ron but, Borges told that called them. So they thought that Armstrong was a positive influence. Well, exactly. And you, you know, garbage in garbage out when it comes to things along those lines, but it's just uh we have to just, you know, hold the line on this. And for the folks that weren't there or the folks that uh, were there with the uh, blinkers still on their, on their eyes, we just have to remind them that 
Drew was not the answer. He wasn't going to be the answer. If he was the answer, he would have done more. He would have tried harder. He wouldn't have, you know, like you said, been the happiest day when he, you know, got to leave Foxborough. There's just so much, so much wrong. And the people who can't see it, maybe they won't ever see it, but we know. The most misunderstood performance in the history of misunderstood performances, Patriots edition, is that the hagiography of the 2001 AFC title game in Pittsburgh. He threw two important passes in that game. He was eight for 19 the rest of the way for 103 yards and did his damnedest to try to give the game away with an over-the-shoulder flip leading by one score in the fourth quarter. It's it's Clavin Shakes time on that. Uh, I'd be remiss, Mike, if I didn't mention um, – this is Cam Newton's numbers yesterday against the Washington. All right, so Cam was 21 of 27 for 189 Cam knows you yards. have to turn off the music. <laughs> yes, yes, he does. Huddle up and run it again. God damn it. Cam was 21 of 27, seven yards in attempt, 189 yards, two touchdowns throwing, one rushing. Cam Newton, when the game is on the line, he's throwing short of the sticks. On fourth down, he's throwing passes in front of the sticks. On fourth down in the final drive, he takes a goddamn sack instead of throwing the ball over his shoulder, Drew Bledsoe style, because there's – there's there's no downside to it at that point. I mean, anyone at this point, I mean, it's very it, the Spulpits love him. Tanya Ray takes loves Cam Newton. It's 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 tough to watch. It's it, it, it's over Cam. Yeah, uh, the the I just need to know what his ground yards per attempt were. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't seem like there are many, but, uh, you know, I, I, I would like to thank him for, for providing good value in, in FanDuel. And I, I thought. When I, when I found myself being happy at his numbers, I was thinking, okay, this is exactly how these people get brainwashed into liking, thinking yes. Cam Newton is good. I was like, oh, look, look what he's doing for, for my daily fantasy. Oh, that's it. That's, that's it right there. There's, there's the key. And um, I, the, the Cam experience scarred me so deeply. Um, and if only because of the praise that Bill heaped on him. I'm so, you know, our, our, our shared, uh, I think contempt for some friends of bill and I'm putting cam in that category because <laughs> I just, he, I don't think he's a good teammate. I think he's, he, he's not a bad teammate, but I do not think he's a good team. He's a fake good teammate. He is a guy who will pat you on the back, give you a nickname, come in there and, 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 and say the right things. I just, I don't see it. I never have seen it. And maybe that's on me. Yeah. But we talked ourselves into it last year for sure. I, I just, I, I don't think, I don't think he is a guy you want as your leader of in the organization, because he play, he comes across to me as a selfish individual. And I, I'm sure that the, the, the spulpits and the, uh, and, and the Tanya Rays would you know, have some charges to level at me for, for that take because of, you know, reasons, but I, I do not wish him well um, in so much as um, I, I, I hope he, um, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to meet them in the, in the, in the playoffs, uh, but that's not going to happen. So uh, I, we can just root for, root for her for failure for, um, for, you know, because it'll make Brian Phillips and Tanya Ray take sad. And that's, that's where I'm at. Good value on FanDuel. Also good value. If you had Washington getting three yesterday, Scartelli, uh, did you did you get to see I any? I just wanted to uh, wanted zone? to tag in on uh, what Mike had to say and just say it's it, it's the teammate equivalent of false hustle, is what I see Great. it as being. It's you know, catching the ball you know, in the field of play and then jumping into the stands unnecessarily. 
Because I like, like back to baseball. I like the shade. I'll make it further back to baseball. You know who he reminds me of? Like fake good teammate, but we're old bastards. Steve Lyons with the Red Sox. Good God. Just trying too hard to be everybody's friend. John, um, you were happy for Cam Sunday. You're the team mom. Um, he, Cam has empty calories at this point playing quarterback. He's he is the epitome of empty calories. And, oh, I, I have to say, I on the um, I am athlete pod. If if the guys remember, oh, here comes the reach that. around. Here comes the reach around. Well, you know, I, I I liked what he had to say on it, and I don't know. I mean, you guys may be right. I've been I've got blind spots all over the place on guys, so I'm not I'm not as is out on Cam. I did put on the hip waders though, and went over to Panthers Twitter today, <laughs> and and it was kind of fun. You know, a lot of our friends who were hanging out in in our feeds when Cam was the starting quarterback, uh, calling the city of Boston racist repeatedly, they've, they've left us and they're, they're back in their, their Panther hive, uh, with, with Cam. And they were so happy to have Cam back and the, the giddy, like childlike enthusiasm of having Cam back was kind of adorable, to be honest, at the risk of being condescending. Uh, toward Tanya Ray there. It was it was adorable to see that sort of genuine unbridled enthusiasm. And it got me thinking, the worst year for Patriots fans this century, the team was led by the greatest, most popular player in another franchise's history. How lucky are we as Patriots yeah. fans that that was our worst year? Somebody else somebody else's favorite player of all time, the greatest player in franchise history, they're gonna build a statue to the guy. That guy represents our worst year as fans this century. That's we're living pretty charmed lives as Patriots fans. It's very true. It's a great point. Um, a great point. I'm I'm done with Cam. I'm unnecessarily harsh on Cam, saying it's over. Like uh, I'm, I'm sliced alone. But uh, Dan, final thoughts on Cam. Let's hope this is the last time we have to talk about Cam Newton vis-a-vis the Patriots. But I was just like, I'm so glad I'm done with the Cam experience. I'm happy he's back. I'm happy he's had some success. I'm happy he's happy. I'm happy he's on another team, and I'm happy we've got Mac instead. Yep. Midwest nice, Dan. Nice work. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, A couple of listener emails I'll hit really quickly. Uh, Vinny, uh, veteran in Titletown email of Vinny Jace. Actually, this is a good question. Um, In light of, if you watch the Sunday night game, Brandon Staley, the coach of the Chargers, leading Dan, leading by four with about four minutes ago in the fourth quarter. The Chargers were leading late in the game against the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday night, nursing a lead with about four minutes to go. Fourth and one on their own 29. They don't get it. They hand the ball over to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh scores to go ahead. Now, the bad decision, in my opinion, got bailed out. But, Mike, what, what Vinny's question is what extent Belichick takes into, into account advanced analytics. And we all, we've talked about the fourth and two before, but Bill's been, again, good friend Bill, Bill's been very out about football being a field game as evidenced in Super Bowl 49, not calling it the end there. Um, I'm an eye test guy. You're a, a data analytics guy, certainly more than I am. Um, football is a field game. Um, wh- what do you think he takes into account, the analytics? Uh, yeah, so, you know, he was definitely at the- – Ernie and Bill were at the um, at the forefront, certainly with the Cal, the Cal University professors study about mm-hmm. fourth downs and when yep. to go for it. They were ahead of the curve on that one. Um, and I think it's just it's just knowledge. It's just accumulating knowledge, sifting through it in uh, figuring out, um, you know, what is useful. And it, it's just useful to kind of have that in, in your pocket. And, and, and I, as I said here, I think a few weeks back, 
I feel like Bill has gone away against analytics a bit in the last five or so years. Um, and I think he's did so, it this year because his defense is so damn good and he's, he's yeah, bringing along a right. quarterback. Sorry to interrupt. Totally. Yeah. So I thought that was a good call last night. Um, you're hedging. You can pick up uh, fourth in my dick, as, as the coach says, uh, against possibly giving up <laughs> a, a score. So, you know, you've got you've got three timeouts. You haven't stopped them once in the fourth quarter. They'd scored four times, I think, at that point in the fourth quarter. So it's very much similar to fourth and two, in my opinion. Um, you punt away. They're going to move the ball. They have three. You have three timeouts. And even though you have three timeouts, you're basically you're going to have to burn them because they can move the ball. And if you turn it over at the 29 or whatever it is, there's a finite amount of space that they uh, of room for them to either score or or you know or whatever it is. And they're not going to bleed the they clock. They can't pick up right? first downs. You're right. not going to burn a bunch of timeouts. Time, the, the analytical value there is time and time is, is, is an analytical tool. Um, and I think that was what, to me, what the value is. You haven't stopped them. You can get the ball back. That's what the, that's what the calculus was. I thought it was a good call. I, I you know, fourth and one uh, Eckler's running well in short yardage. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I had no problem with that. I thought it was a smart call. I think playing a long game and I thought it was, I thought it was a fourth and two. That's what I thought. It was a very much a fourth and two call given what the opponent had been doing in the fourth quarter. Yeah, my gut, I didn't like it. Gut, I don't mind punting the ball, but they're not playing with the Patriots defense. The charges have been a sieve all year. So again, it's not black or white. There's there's degrees of truth probably on both ends, John. Um, what did you think of Staley's decision? How do you think Bill counters analytics with, you know, being in the game for 50 years? You know, I, I like the way Mike laid it out. I think he made all the right points on the, you know, why to go for it. I didn't like the decision at the time um, in the, what I what I would what I really don't like is the the analytics as a cudgel online and folks pointing to it and saying, see, you know, you should have gone, right? And the 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 data is all kind of predicated on irrelevant to the moment. You know, d- you know, Mike lays out a, a bunch of points about you know the the Chargers defense, you know, hasn't been stopping them and the 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 fact that you know, the, the amount of time left, you know, the, the ability for Pittsburgh to pick up multiple first downs and burn the clock all the way down was kind of limited. Right. So there's, there's definitely some factors to go for it there. But what I didn't like is if you look at the, the actual data breakdown on it, that's posted online, the fourth down bot online, you know, the percentage win if you fail. So by, by going for it, not getting it, their win percentage drops down to 38%. But then of course, what ends up happening? They end up winning the game. Right. These are just kind of garbagey data points. The the anticipated success of going for it on fourth and one there was 73%. You know, what is that what is that predicated on? Right? Is that predicated on that game's action or is that predicated on thousands of football games, fourth and ones over time? Right. So so that's what I like about Belichick, his ability to kind of know the data, kind of understand the context, and just being better at this than than you know, than just about any other coach he's, he's dealing with. And I'll say this, the same fourth down bot recommended the Patriots go for it on their first drive against the Falcons, right? They had crossed into Atlanta's 40, 48 yard line. It was fourth and three. And the bot said, go for it. What happens? Bailey punts, they pin him at the four. You know, does the bot anticipate the fact that you've got a pro bowl punter, one of the best punters in the league, no. who has got a knack of putting people inside their 10, if not their five yard line? It doesn't, it doesn't account for that. It can't right? account for also for the fact it, that it, Matt it Ryan might account. step on his it dick It can't account. Right. It can't account. So you count on your coach to account. And I think what I get bothered by is like, we've got the best coach. As Patriots fans, we've got the best coach. We've got the guy who's seen it all. 
the Chargers are stuck with a kid who seems to be playing analytics. He got that one right. But I'd love for the Patriots to face Brandon Staley in the playoffs. I'd love for Brandon Staley to go for it in that situation against the Patriots defense. Right. I, I hope that happens. Dan, Dan, wrap it up uh, on the analytics and Bill and the Chargers. Mike made a great point about how, how similar that was to uh, fourth and two. And whether that was the right call or the, or the wrong call, um, they failed on it, but they won the game. So we'll never hear about it. And right. you know, the, I, I suppose nowadays they've the, the, the analytics have analytics have been become part of the game. So maybe they wouldn't have gotten criticized for it. But the fact that he won the game is everything for whether or not there's criticism or not. That's a good point. Um, also, the, those coaches, the California coaches, uh, Shanahan, McVay, Staley, they they are in with the Peter Schragers of the world. Like, you ever see, you ever hear Peter Schrager talk? McVay's or Shanahan's lips is moving, or Brandon Staley. So they do, they have, those guys have their back. Um, Vinny, thanks for sending the email. Uh, Jackson sent an email last week as well. Thank you for that. Entitledtown at gmail.com is our email address. Um, I'll lead off final thoughts this week. And this is going to feel a little bit like Sam Malone's hard-hitting eye in sports commentary regarding natural grass or artificial turf. But holy hell, it drives me up a goddamn wall to see the Lakers wearing yellow in the garden. It triggers me. I, I know, I know I'm a child because LeBron and his hair plugs wearing the home yellows just trigger the absolutely living hell out of me. But as Scott Hall would say, score another one for the good guys. The Celts blew out the Lakers 130-108, um, bringing uh, the universe back in line and setting me up for a good weekend. So I'd like to thank Jason Tatum and his 37 points. Um, the other thing I want to talk about before I throw it to Mike is football fans collectively have the attention span of a gnat. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, the discount double douche, is back slinging insurance on TV this week a week after we got out his lying and his disregard for COVID protocol. And that comes after we forgot about the NFL refusing to release the Washington football team's email and only salacious bits that were leaked to cost John Gruden his job. Um, what happened? Where are the emails? You know, I'm sure one of the big guns like Breer, Rap Sheet, Schefter will get on it. Or maybe Seth Wickersham will take time off his tour of doing uh, library uh, appearances in Ipswich and Newburyport to get right on it instead of right talking about um, half-truths and fabrications. So, um, Seth, we're waiting. We're waiting for you to do something that's actually important. It's more. It's better to be feared. How about do your job? Embrace a little bit of Belichickian philosophy. Mike, your final thought. Well, um, appropriately enough, uh, based on, on your last comments, my, my thought this week is about the appropriately named one, Seth Wickersham. I'm uh, slogging through the the book uh, still, and you know, it I, is I think a slog. I remarked, yeah, I, I remarked previously that it was there is not a lot remarkable there, and and there isn't. There is no bombshells or anything like that. It's very lazy. Um, it, it's a lot. It's so much is just taken from him documenting what was said in NFL films, mic'd up segments. It's mm -hmm. really kind of crazy. Um, in, and I, I don't know how he, he got away with that. But um, the thing that, that's interesting to me is I think he has a, I don't know if it's all malicious, but I think he has a problem, uh, some kind of social disorder judging tone. Um, you know, as an example, if, if, if you ask me, you know, what, what would you do if the Patriots lose this year in the Super Bowl to, um, you know, to, to, the, to the Buccaneers? And I say, I'm fucking, I'm going to blow my brains out. Uh, you know, the Joe Bird toothbrush, you would say, you know, <laughs> Seth would write. And then 
Mike on Route One threatened to commit suicide. Like he would, and he, he just report that straight. He plays it very straight like that. And it, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of telling you um, what people were thinking. Um, and, and he doesn't tell us how he arrived at these conclusions. Uh, it, it's very, it's very poorly, poorly written, poorly sourced. And Dan and I have been talking about that a bit this week and how, uh, just how bad and broadly generalizing things. It's, it's really an unbelievable um, lack of responsibility in a writer. And the sad thing is, I don't think aside from, um, you know, the however many dozens of, of people we have listening to this, I don't know that the broad, um, you know, Twitter sphere, at least of, of Patriots fans would have the, I think, institutional knowledge to be able to break it apart on, on all the problems with it. So, um, you know, more to come if I, if I find anything particularly egregious, but it was just, it's, it's, it's really uh, a marvel to, to see how, how poor he is at this. The book is, is the, the equivalent of a dial tone for me at this point. There's no, there's nothing even there for me to get, you know, agitated. At. It's just, it's, it's a, in, it's a nothing burger at this point. Uh, Scott Telly, uh, your final thought, uh, you, I throw it to you. Oh, I have a uh, tripartite final thought because <laughs> that's how I do things. We were talking about boat races earlier. And I just like to say that uh, I only recognize one boat race, the uh, head of the Charles regatta, the Fagawe and the America's cup. And from the America's Cup, we sail into uh, the Ocean State, where I'd like to say congratulations to the Hendrickson Hawks for winning their fourth straight football state championship. And from there, I'd like to uh, seg into uh, high school football and the disappointment I feel in WCVB for no longer doing the uh, half hour half hour recap of the high school uh, football scores and uh, highlights. Sick Transit, Gloria Mundi Lynchy. Um, well said, uh, John. Good luck following that one up. I, I always get stuck following Scarcy with his Latin riffs. It seems. <laughs> um, I, I'll be real quick, but there was something that bothered me more than more than I, I try not to let this stuff bother me. I have to admit, we were talking about the courage without maybe using that word. I can't remember when Belichick got rid of Kosar in Cleveland and the courage it took to get rid of Bledsoe and make the move to Brady, the greatest move in the history of management, and yet you have a, a sports basement spulpit guy uh, talking about Belichick coaching like a coward. And I'm like, at what point, at what point do these kids give the greatest coach of all time, the benefit of the doubt? Like, I honestly don't know how you can have watched even just the last decade of Patriots football, right? I'll give them credit and say that maybe they've watched more than a decade of Patriots football. I don't know how you can watch a decade of Patriots football and feel comfortable second guessing Bill Belichick and saying he coached like a coward. Like I, I, the hubris, Mike, the hubris of being able to say something like that. I just, I will never understand it. I will never get like these kids. They would have loved the Rod Rust era. They would have, they, they would have been able to second guess their hearts out and maybe even been right. Some of the time, right. They would have loved the Dick McPherson era. You know, they weren't alive for any of that. They certainly don't remember it if they were. But here they are second guessing and calling him coaching like a coward. I mean, give me a break. These guys, they are awful. They are, they are just absolutely represent the absolute worst because there's a, like a faux intellectualism there. It's not like the kind of the corny dumb shit that you see uh, pollute our menchies every now and then. 
it's like this faux intellectualism. And then the, the likes that they get with this stuff, it just, it really like, ugh, just makes me so, so sad. But anyway, that's, that, it's that's the just, faux, it's the faux intellectual branch of Felger youth. That's yeah. all it is. Scott. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you called, uh, you called this particular spulpit a kid. I believe he is a grown man who uh, pretends to be a millionaire at parties. Oh, Jesus Christ. He's a, he's oh. never go full Mike Gundy. I'm a man. I'm 40. <laughs> uh, Dan. Uh, uh, so John, uh, John, John's done. Uh, Dan, let's uh, your final thought. You, you are in the anchor position. I'm going to risk John calling me Lupica again for this one. Never go so for I, sports reporters, but here we go. That's right. I, I proposed an idea for this podcast. It was for a bit, a, a stupid bit, really, looking to make fun of Chris Gasper's love of big words. You know what I'm talking about. He'd use these words, uh, penurious, uh, apotheosis, uh, rhodomontati, for, for Christ's sakes. Right, that, that it's pretty safe to say aren't part of a Boston sports fan's regular vocabulary. So in the same way that Mike always calls up that Bedard clip. I had no clue. I thought we could collect this library of Gasper clips where he's saying these ridiculous, ostentatious words. Then from time to time, Mike can say, oh, what's that expression again, Chris? And call one up. Exigency over erudition. We'd, we'd all <laughs> laugh and then use the clips in future pods in perpetuity. Easy, right? Wrong. I started combing through the YouTube clips, Gasper on Felger's show, Gasper's own insipid podcast, and found nothing. No sesquipedalian delights, <laughs> no polysyllabic pedantic pans to pomposity. Chris also likes a lot of alliteration. Alas, I could find no audio record of Chris's pretentiousness. His carefully crafted identity could only be found in print where he'd have the time and luxury to look up the lexicon lingering just beyond the tip of his tongue. In other words, he had no other words. None. Moreover, his uh, non-print presence betrays the refined persona that he wishes to depict. It's not that he comes off as a dummy, more than just sounding like any of Felger's listeners calling in. Basic, really, both in delivery and message. Listen to this Globe-produced clip back from the first time Gasper was a columnist there. Tomorrow. And then maybe you go down to the locker room and something happens down there. Somebody says something, somebody reveals an injury, or there's something that is said you know, about the other team, or the other team says something about the Patriots that shifts the dynamic. And you say, no, you know, I got to get that in. We have to get that into the paper uh, because we might be the only ones who know about that because it didn't happen on the field. You didn't see it on TV. You know, that's, that's the difference down there. Something could be said or done, and it's our job to put that in context and, 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 and inform the reader about what is going on just outside of what happens in between the lines. He just gave you the most basic definition for what a sports reporter does. <laughs> the only real separation between you and him being his access to a locker room. But see, he added a little extra in there that time where he said, no, no, I got to get that in. As if he's having some daily battle with his editor over, I don't know how, how pronounced Logan Mankin's limp is and if that should become public <laughs> knowledge. Chris going that brave extra mile for you, dear reader. Listen to his self-congratulations over the most rudimentary of tasks. It's like Costanza telling Jerry, maybe he could do color commentary because he always makes those interesting comments during the game. Or, or the guy in office space justifying his job to the bobs because of his people skills, damn it. This isn't an attack on more picturesque speech. The best writing trusts its audience. The best journalism informs 
connects with and serves its audience. So that ain't Gasper. He writes to serve himself. He writes to please himself. He writes to gratify himself. And we all know another word for that. Rest hours for Gasper's uh, Dan Dan Killing Gas will be two to four, seven and nine on Marcy Boulevard. Uh, date to be determined. Uh, was that an outtake? Was that an outtake from the Exact Change Bank commercial? That's what, sounded, that's what it sounded like. We can do that. We can get that in for you. Is a deadline? Late breaking story. We'll publish it. Four People quarters. Wanting, wanting ten, ten dimes for a ten dollar bill, and, and we can do that. Sometimes the same day. God, talk about empty calories. He's the Cam Newton of journalists, for Christ's sake. Uh, Dan is at that. Uh, Dan is at Patriots Daily. Mike is at In This Town One. Scartelli is at Pat Scartell. Uh, the 15net.com, the Scorch Drunk Draw, will be out. Uh, I assume it'll be up, up before the holiday, but that will be to be determined. Scartelli's giving me a thumbs up. Uh, John is at that, John Irons. Uh, entitled Weekend. Uh, we'll be dropping this at the end of this week. Uh, it was a good take. I, I liked being on with uh, Weekend, Dan, Bill, General Steve, and Shaq. Um, thanks for downloading. Happy Thanksgiving to the guys on the uh, never-ending panel here. Uh, I hope everything's well. We're on to Tennessee. Um, again, thank you for listening. And as always, turn off your radios. And we're going to stay positive all the way through. And if you think I'm going to succumb to negativity, you're wrong. you got the wrong guy leading this basketball team.